Welcome to In The Loop, where we break down the complex world of battery manufacturing into bite-sized, understandable pieces. At Norfolk, we believe that batteries are the building blocks of our electric future. But how do they really work? From raw materials to innovative techniques to recycling, In The Loop is your backstage pass to the captivating journey batteries embark on before they power our world. Tune in, be curious, and we'll make sure to keep you in the loop. Good morning. I'm your host, Anna Lee, and in today's episode of In the Loop, I am joined by Merlin Potter Adams. Welcome, Merlin. Thank you. I'm not going to pretend that I know much about this topic, but the reason I wanted to do this podcast in the first place was because I'm always looking for ways to learn more about different parts of Norfolk, but also I know that a lot of people aren't really aware of the battery industry and how it all works. Um, So I'm very excited to sit here with you today to learn more. I probably can't contribute much to this episode. You'll probably be the one talking the most. Uh, I think you'll be surprised. I'm going to throw a few questions your way. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess that's testing my knowledge of how much I know about Norfolk. Uh, Okay. Let's just dive in and catch up on what you want to talk about when it comes to cathode active material. Sure. So I think before we dive into cathode active material, well, let's call it CAM from now on. Otherwise, we're going to be kind of sick of saying those three words by the end of it. Before we dive into CAM, maybe we should start by looking at batteries as a whole. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it might be a bit too kind of zoomed in to give any meaning to people. But then maybe we should also explain that the only um, sort of part of Norfolk that makes batteries is our systems. Mm. Otherwise, what we produce are the cells that are then made into batteries. Yeah. Which our customers do. Yeah, exactly. I need to be a little bit careful when I say the word battery because that's technically a combination of cells and mm-hmm. our main product is cells. So forgive me if I slip up there. Um, yeah, I'll try and <laughs> but be now we know. Now we've correct. clarified. Now <laughs> yeah. we know that there like there could be some oops in this, but that's that's fine. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so then um, a question to you and also to the listeners. How far away are you from a lithium-ion battery right now? We literally have batteries all over our table right now. We have three phones two computers, another computer that has a battery, and I'm pretty sure that the audio has center there, there has something in it. Exactly. Yeah. So go on, give a distance. A distance? Yeah. Oh, it's like 30 centimeters. Uh, I think you're a lot closer, actually. What? Are you saying that there's something in this microphone? <laughs> have a look on your wrist. Oh, of course. I have my Apple Watch on. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's you're literally like uh, on a few my millimeters body. away from a lithium battery. It's, yeah, it's on my body. <laughs> Perfect. But the, I guess the point is that we're surrounded by these devices and they're kind of almost in everything we use day to day and all of these portable electronics. But most people, myself included, before I worked at Northall, don't really understand how they work. And I remember maybe a bit of a personal anecdote here now, but back when I was a kid, and this might give an insight into my personality, but one of my favorite things to watch in the morning before I went to school was a show called How It's Made. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, they take an obscure random object like know a set of skis or box of noodles or something and we'll just show like how they make this thing in a factory and i think yeah it's just really interesting to understand how these like everyday objects actually work Mm -hmm. so hopefully we can kind of address that in this curiosity yeah i think everyone is a tad bit curious about how the things work around us yeah for sure so you've worked at Northvolt for some time now and you get since you're in the communications team you get a good overview of everything Mm -hmm. do you have a good idea of how batteries work I mean, yes and no. 
it's honestly at this point i'm probably more aware of how a cell works than the actual battery itself oh yeah there's me using the wrong terminology (laughs) (laughs) cell sorry (laughs) well i guess just the building of the cell so like that i I sort of understand the 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 components and what goes into it but of course it's it's a whole other ballpark when you know that the cell is active and like what is happening within the cell and then even on a battery level like what's happening there as well that mm, not so much yeah I mean, it is quite a, in a way it's complicated and in a way it's quite simple. But then if we change the question, what's the main function of a, of a cell? A cell. Mm. Energy. Energy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about it? <laughs> Gives energy to the, the battery and then it can, it can power something like yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to store energy. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, the core function of a cell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the question then that we can dive into is how do how do lithium ion cells store energy? Because that is the the question at the, the center of it all, I think, and maybe something that we should try and ad- address before we dive into CAM. So here I'm going to try and give an analogy, a good wait. metaphor of how it works. Bear with me because I'm not sure it's super clear. But imagine you are opening a car rental business in the middle of a big city, right? The first thing that you want to think about is kind of space, where you're going to put this. And obviously it's quite expensive, but you found a parking lot, a cheap one at the top of a tall building to store cars. Okay, great. So you have somewhere to store some of your cars for this rental business. You're also going to want a a shop, right? Where the customers can come and where they can pick up the cars and return them and everything. Mm -hmm. And you probably don't want that at the top of the building. Maybe you're going to have it down on the bottom where people are actually walking around. So, okay, you've managed to find a building where you can have a shop in the bottom and where people can pick up and leave the cars and space to to park them at the top. So when you want to basically take your cars up to the top, you need to drive them using the engine, right? You need to switch on the engine um, and use burn fuel to drive the car up a ramp to the top of the building. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. When you want to bring the cars down, I mean, most people probably wouldn't do this, but you could, in theory, turn the engine off, stick it in neutral and just coast all the way down with your car and kind of under the under the force of gravity, you know, that will take you all the way down to the bottom. So you're using energy to drive the cars up to the top of the building and you're kind of getting this energy back when you just let the car roll down, down the ramp to the bottom of the building. Make sense so far? Yes. Where's this Where's this going? I, yeah. I think I have a guess. So another thing that you would need to consider when you have this, this business is that you want to park the cars in an efficient way, right? You can't just let people drive them randomly and put them in random different orientations. So just like probably every other car park you've seen in your life, it's marked with parking bays in a very kind of ordered fashion. So you're going to want to do that. You're going to want to paint the floor so that the cars are parked very neatly next to each other in nice lines so that not only can you efficiently store them in the space that you have, but you can also drive between them so you have a good flow of traffic. If you didn't do that, it would just be a big chaotic mess and you wouldn't be able to kind of drive the cars anywhere, right? No. So now we have the situation that I've described that also kind of describes how a lithium-ion battery is working. So in a lithium-ion battery, you have anode and cathode. And these terms, probably a lot of people heard before, anode being the negative side, cathode being the positive side. And on those two different sides, we need to put some kind of material into the battery that is good at storing lithium ions or lithium atoms, basically. So we want to have a situation like our cars where they're nicely parked in ordered neat bays and there's good efficiency of space used. 
and also space to drive the cars around still. Okay, so then we have this, this situation where we have, you know, cars going up and down and then they're parked neatly at the top and bottom. And that's kind of how it works in a lithium ion battery. So when you charge a cell, the lithium ion is going from uh, the cathode, the positive side, to the anode, the negative side. And that's like when you're driving up, you're putting energy in and you're moving something from one position to another. And when you discharge a lithium ion cell, you take that, that lithium ion and you move it from the anode back to the cathode. But as in the same way that you're kind of getting energy back when you drive a car down, downhill, the same thing is happening when you discharge a lithium ion battery. So you get energy back when you move the lithium ion from the anode, from the negative side, back to the cathode. Mm -hmm. And that's roughly how it works. And it was also just a kind of, this analogy is to, to help us appreciate that we need to have materials on both the anode and cathode that are nice and ordered and are good at storing lith uh, lithium ions in a in a way that means that they can easily move between both sides of the battery and be stored in a space efficient way. Because then you're saying that if if they aren't, then you have a faulty cell because then it's not working in the way that you. Yeah, want if you to. don't if you don't have a material with these characteristics, it probably just wouldn't work at all. Mm. Like the cell wouldn't charge or discharge, mm -hmm. and it would be pretty useless. So we need to look for materials that have these kind of characteristics that would actually work in a battery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of how cathode active material fits into a cell. Mm -hmm. It's gonna the cam is gonna go onto the cathode side, the positive side, and this is also actually where we get a lot of our lithium ions from in the battery. So when we make cam, the the lithium ions are actually stored in there at the beginning, and when you first charge a battery, those lithium ions are gonna move over to the negative side mm -hmm. to, to the anode. But if we kind of zoom out a little bit and we we think about a cell, yeah, how it looks. We have various different components and the anode and cathode together are just the two different types of electrodes that we have. So those electrodes typically would be on sheets mm -hmm. inside a cell. If you, I wouldn't recommend to do this at home, but if you, if you cut open a battery, you would find that it's just different layers and different sheets. And these, these sheets that you see, a lot of them are going to be the electrodes. So on the cathode electrode, what we have is... Well, let me ask you a question, actually, before I give oh, you no. the answer. Okay. <laughs> what? Imagine that we're putting this um, material onto onto a material, mm -hmm. and not only does it need to sit there nice and securely, the material that we put it onto needs to conduct electricity. Yeah. What type of material is good at that? A foil, but I don't know what material that is. Like anode. Yeah, I think you're being too specific. Like if <laughs> if I was before you came to Northolt, is if I was just going to ask you what yeah. materials conduct electricity Oof, from metals. your high school? Exactly, metals. Yeah, just yeah. metals. Yeah. So we, in theory, we could take most of the metals out there and we could coat the cathode onto metal, mm -hmm. um, and the metal would be doing a good job at conducting the the electricity. But we need to do it in a very effective way to make good batteries. Otherwise, no one is going to want to put the, the batteries or cells, mm -hmm. sorry, into their into their products. So one way to make everything more space efficient is to make the metal part as small as possible. And then kind of from what you said, the obvious conclusion there is to use foil, really thin piece of metal, because the metal is not really doing anything useful. It's not participating in the reaction. We just need it there to kind of help facilitate everything. So we're going to use for the cathode side, aluminium foil. And this is basically like the stuff you can find in your kitchen drawer. Of course, the version that we use has like quite strict quality requirements and the specification and everything. But on the face of it, it's just thin aluminium foil. So you, you cut open a, a cell. Inside there, you have these different layers. And one of the layers that you'll find will be aluminium foil that has black stuff coated onto it. And that black stuff is the cam along with some other ingredients that help it stick onto the foil. And if we zoom in a little bit deeper, inside the, the black stuff, 
in our cow material is going to be the actual active material itself. So if we think about how is a good way to do this, in a battery, you want to squeeze in as much energy as possible mm -hmm. on the cell level too. And if we think about shapes that are good at packing together in a neat way, one choice is spheres. Good analogy here, I guess, would be, have you ever played snooker? No, what's snooker? Or pool? You know, the, the one with the green table where you have a stick and yeah, you hit Yeah, I, I know pool. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but what's snooker? Snooker is, I don't know if it's the British version or whatever. I, I don't really know. But, but it's, it's the same. Same kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. You hit balls with a stick. But when you <laughs> set up the balls, you put them in this triangle, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the, the balls like pack really neatly together mm -hmm. um, and they're quite close together. And this kind of shows us, okay, spheres are really good at neatly packing together. So this is a similar reason or pretty much the same reason as to why we are making our cam into spheres mm. so we go to a lot of effort to to produce this material in the shape of a sphere so that it can pack tightly together mm -hmm. and we can squeeze as much as possible onto our aluminium foil and therefore we can get as much energy as possible out of our cell okay does it make sense so far that makes yeah that makes total sense it just blows my mind that that powder that i've seen that there are literally spheres in there i mean that that in general to me when people use microscopes it, yeah. it's just like it blows my mind but you can see yeah but we can't see with our naked eye yeah for sure it's super weird when you see these things like zoomed in and how they actually look kind of thousands and thousands of time magnified mm -hmm. and then to give some scale these spheres that i'm talking about that constitute the the cam if you took let's say 10 of these spheres and lined them up all side by side 10 of them would actually be about the thickness of a human hair but that, that's what i mean like how how can you even imagine that or even see something like that when yeah yeah it feels I'd quite like to see abstract those, i'd like to see those spheres in a microscope <laughs> so i can understand what you're talking about because i cannot see that in my head but yeah. the fact that it's as thick as a piece of hair blows my mind yeah how tiny it is then yeah exactly and I think the reason that they're so small is because this gives us an optimum uh, set of properties for them to perform in the cell. Mm -hmm. But then you get an understanding of kind of, okay, these things really are tiny and they are a sphere because they then pack neatly together and we can squeeze a lot of them in. But then we can zoom in even further into Wait, one what? sphere. <laughs> and then we kind of go like deep chemistry slash physics here, but bear with me. So if we zoom into a single sphere, the atoms inside are arranged into these neat crystal structures. Uh, let's try and think of a good way to relate to this then. Can you name an everyday object that has a layered structure? A layered structure? Yeah, that is made up of layers. Ooh. How about um, a food item? A food item. I mean... <sighs> Certain like candy bars might have layers. Mm -hmm. Like I know, um, uh, oh, what are they called? Uh, Kit Kats. Yeah, exactly. Kit Kats. That was that? one of the examples I was thinking of too. I know, I so. saw your document. <laughs> I cheated a little bit. What? <laughs> Damn it. I thought you actually came up with it. <laughs> Kit Kat though, I did I did come up with. I saw Kix Kuklod, oh, which okay. is for the me Swedish very version. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Swedish version, a bit yeah. wider. Mm -hmm. But yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> another another acceptable answer would have been lasagna. Oh yeah, lasagna, of course. Yeah, I was thinking about other foods. Like, is there a fruit that has layers too? Is there a fruit that has layers? I don't know. 
I think we could sit here all day thinking about <laughs> things that have layers that have in layers. our everyday life. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's lasagna or a Kit Kat or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Okay. So we have kind of a, uh, an analogy to work with there. Uh, something that has one layer of one thing and then another layer of another thing and repeats, right? And this is kind of what the atoms look like inside the sphere of a CAM particle. So they're arranged in these really neat layers. And that's what makes CAM as a, as a material great at storing lithium ions and allowing the lithium ions not only to be stored there but also to transfer out because they have these kind of neat channels so imagine you could take a Kit Kat and you could perfectly melt the chocolate so the chocolate kind of fell away and the wafer layers would still be there Mm. that's kind of what's happening on like an atomic level inside the cam particle Mm -hmm. if that makes sense wow it does but it doesn't So instead of like a layer of wafer and a layer of chocolate Mm -hmm. in a cam particle, we have a layer of metal oxide and then a layer of lithium. Okay. So yeah, wafer is metal oxide Mm -hmm. and chocolate is your lithium layer. Um, And then during charge, the, the, as I've said before, the lithium ions travel towards the anode and then are deposited between the layers in the anode. I mean, this is a whole different podcast, obviously, but an anode also has a layered structure. Okay. What's the material inside a pencil? <laughs> There's one common answer which is incorrect and one correct answer. I know and I've heard this before. I should know this. Oh. Okay, if I say both, you have to choose the correct okay, one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Graphite and lead. Graphite. Correct. Yeah, because yeah, it's like people think that it's lead. Yeah. Because yeah, it maybe it was in the old olden days. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. But it's super toxic. So so graphite, the reason that it's in a pencil is actually similar to the reason that it's in an anode, which is that it's made up of these layers. And in a pencil, these layers are really good at kind of sliding off each other and falling away. So when mm. you push a pencil onto a page, a lot of the layers kind of continuously fall off and deposit onto the paper, which you see as like mm. a black mark. Um, and it's these same layers that make an anode really good at storing lithium ions because the lithium ions can kind of just shuffle in between those layers and sit there happily okay. um, as the material becomes charged. Uh-huh. But that's um, that's not really my topic and I don't really different... know anything about anode. I don't yeah. want to pretend I do either. But um, that's where the lithium ions are going mm-hmm. to when we charge the cell, which was also back to the original analogy when we're kind of driving our car up to the top of the car park. Mm-hmm. And then during discharge, the lithium ions are going to the cathode and releasing energy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they do this by transferring electrons yeah. into the electrical circuit. And this is basically us rolling our car down the bottom of the car park and mm-hmm. getting kind of, you know, movement for free in a way or getting the energy back that we put in in the first place. So if we go back to these cam crystals or these these cathode layers, the metals that we use in Northvolt are a mix of nickel, cobalt and manganese which together we refer to as NMC. Mm-hmm. And these three combined give us really excellent energy density in the cell level. The main part of those three that's contributing to this high energy density is nickel. And then the cobalt and manganese are helping to give some kind of stability to the structure and making sure that the, the wafer layers of our Kit Kat are not falling apart every time we remove the chocolate and put the chocolate back in. So the, the, the nickel is allowing us to store a lot of chocolate in the Kit Kat and the cobalt and manganese are making sure the wafer layers are not breaking when we remove mm. and the chocolate and put it back in. Mm-hmm. The difficulty with NMC is that obviously we want to try and make cells better and better as time goes on. And that means in practice using more and more nickel. But if we use a lot of nickel, the material becomes quite unstable. Mm. So we need to use inventive ways to make the wafer layer less weak and more more kind of stable. 
And the way that we stabilize that layer and kind of stabilize the material is basically the role of my team as an R&D division to do research and to explore different ways of making this material still stable, but with increasing amounts of nickel so that we can have, you know, more energy in our cells. And then we would maybe use sprinklings of secret ingredients or <laughs> whatever it might be uh, to, to achieve this. But that's kind of what we're up to in my team. That's the engineering that's going on behind a, a CAM particle. So that's a big task. Yeah, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not super easy. Otherwise, I guess our team wouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> so it keeps us busy. But solving that problem. Because that yeah. kind of goes to a question that I have for you mm -hmm. is uh, something that I've thought about. I mean, not specifically to Norfolk, but just in general with cathode active material in, in the industry. Is there sort of a, a struggle or a challenge going on right now to sort of figure out how to create the best cathode active material with the, like you said, not having to use too much nickel? Mm. Um, is that something that's been going on? Wanting to use more nickel to increase the energy. Yeah, density. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's there's lots of different directions in kind of cathode research. And NMC is only one specific type of chemistry. So you can use other types of cathode chemistry. For example, you might have heard of LFP, uh, lithium ion phosphate. This is also used in cars and also NCA, nickel, cobalt, aluminium. So you can use different types of chemistry and the challenges for each chemistry are, are different. But what was the question? <laughs> I just meant for like NMC, but just in, in general, cathode mm. materials. So like those different types of, of mixtures oh, okay yeah everyone obviously had their own struggle but is there like an overall struggle to figure out like what and i know that this is a pretty obvious question because a lot of people who might be looking at the industry know that yes of course it's a struggle you want to try to create the most efficient yeah cell yeah and also the lightest and and so on yeah um but is there sort of like a general discussion especially in the research world about yeah. like how do we move forward with this yeah, there is. That's a yeah, good question. So for NMC, I would say it's trying to eliminate the cobalt. Cobalt is problematic, um, not only because it's expensive, but also because it's not very sustainable material. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is sourced in Congo with questionable mining practices and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So a lot of manufacturers are trying to get to lower and lower cobalt contents and to almost eliminate that completely from their chemistries, which is kind of the end goal. The problem is that cobalt is really great at making a battery safe and mm. stable. So it's hard to just take it out, even though the sourcing of it can be difficult at times to do that in a responsible way. So that's one of the kind of main research areas in, in nickel, high nickel chemistries. Mm -hmm. so what, what can we do to remove all the cobalt but still have batteries or cells that are safe and reliable yeah and then it's also in general if you look at the industry i guess moving to chemistries that are way more sustainable for the scale that we need to deploy them at mm -hmm. so a lot of research right now is going into sodium ion batteries where we don't use nickel or do we use nickel i'm not sure don't want to say the wrong thing here now but um sodium ion battery is a totally different chemistry we don't use lithium sorry <laughs> We might use nickel. I can't remember. <laughs> but we have um, yeah, a totally different cathode where we don't use lithium. And mm -hmm. then sodium is part of sodium chloride, which is table salt, basically. And is obviously found in the oceans and in deposits around the world at a much higher kind of frequency or quantity. So it's a lot more of a, a way more sustainable material. Mm -hmm. So there's different research directions for different chemistries. But the general trend, I would say, is to focus on the materials, not only from a cost perspective, but also to try and use the most sustainable materials possible. Yeah. 
kind of goes back to the whole Norfolk mission in general. Yeah. Okay. So. Should we sum up about how yeah, CAM fits into a cell? I was just going to say, how does this material sort of fit into the manufacturing of a cell? Yeah, I guess if we if we zoom back out then, so we have our, our layers of atoms, our, our wafer and our chocolate layers that are kind of crystals of lithium metal oxide. And together, those build up spheres of which are CAM particles. And many, many spheres together is our CAM powder. And this powder is coated onto aluminium foil, which is then cut into sheets and assembled neatly together along with the other components in the battery, for example, the anode that we've spoken about, also plastic separators and whatnot. And these layers are all stacked together and then inserted into some kind of container. And then we have our cell, basically. Is it filled with something at some point? Electrolyte. <laughs> <laughs> did you know the answer already? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, there's a few components I've kind of neglected to mention. Mm -hmm. Electrolyte, didn't really talk about separator very much. No, um, I mean, that is a separate thing, but that is what's added yeah. Once it's in the in the um, container. Yeah. yeah. The, the electrolyte is this liquid that helps the lithium ions shuttle between the anode and the cathode. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you'll have an expert on that topic for oh, another definitely. episode, yes. which I will be very keen to hear because I know almost nothing about it. See, th this is also the beauty of this podcast in general is even people at Norfolk's yeah. can learn a lot more about their colleagues and what they do. For sure. And also learn more about specific parts of the process. Yeah, it's such a broad, like there's so many different areas and it's impossible to be an expert in every single one. So it's really interesting to kind of talk to colleagues from all over the business and learn about what they're doing and how it's very different to what you're doing. But at the same time, we're all working on like a small piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. that together is fitting together to, you know, to make these cells. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree. I think it's fascinating talking to different people especially when i'm on different locations and hearing what they do yeah and it it can be everything from working with machines to working with raw materials to working with actually like manufacturing the cells yeah. or it could be everything in between systems yeah exactly it could be something i don't know it could be a um a software someone's working on yeah or artificial intelligence. I don't know. It could be so many different things. And I think it's super exciting and interesting. And I can't wait to have more people on and also give you the opportunity to hear people talk about what they do. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you, Merlin, for joining me. I hope that you enjoyed talking about what you do. Definitely. Thanks for having me. This. I hope it made some kind of sense. I feel like um, there's a risk that you're coming out. Oh, a it bit. definitely. <laughs> it worked. I, I understand to sort of a, a degree. Um, I'll take I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. But the, the purpose of sort of talking about these things is also for someone like me who might have little to no knowledge, but then also people who are interested in, in your field yeah. um, could think that it's an interesting thing to, to listen to, especially yeah. how we work here at Norfolk. Okay, well, thank you again. Thanks for just coming in and, and talking to me and having patience and sitting here in the studio for a while. Thank you guys for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode of In the Loop. Oh,